and welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make, with your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Eric Wolken. If you'd like to learn more about the makers we interview on Why Make, please go to our website, why-make.com. And please help support the Why Make podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash podcast or the Patreon link on our website. Welcome to Bonus Make, Episode 20. These mini episodes are addendums to our main episodes created especially for you, our three diehard listeners. On this Bonus Make, we continue our conversation with Adrienne Siegel from Episode 19 of Why Make. We talk with her about her experience at the end of 2019 as the artist at sea aboard the scientific research vessel Falcor off the coast of Fiji. Here's our Bonus Make with Adrienne Siegel. Back with Adrian on why make and uh, continuing with a few more questions. Um, so kind of what I've had in my notes here is, and you've we've kind of loosely talked about it through you being interested in geographical places, but there's, I find in your work, an undeniable sense of, of place. Are, is there an, uh, an intentionality of seeking out each of these places? Like, how do you run into them? Is it, um, you know, is it something, okay, you hear about, through a person, through another person, and then you seek this place out. And I don't know, just h- how do you come about? Because all of them are really freaking interesting. I mean, researching fires and doing a sculpture based on that, baths in San Francisco. And, st- you know, I-, I feel like you really care about what you choose. I mean, it almost seems like an an actor who really cares about the roles that they take. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can elaborate on that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear my my work is extremely research intensive, um, and it's it's typically does start with a personal experience in the landscape, and I've sought out those experiences a just because I want to have a wide variety of experiences, and I think that's how I situate myself in the world and where I find meaning um and locality is really important like understanding the history of the place in which you live or you're at is really valuable to me and it really incites my curiosity as a human being so um i don't necessarily seek out particular places i want to go but the through the residencies that i've done i've been able to branch out a bit from california um Mm -hmm. or just from the bay area and when i when i find myself immersed in a completely new place for you know one month two months four months however long the residency is it gives me a lot of time to really learn about that place and search for stories or inquiries or like tidbits of interesting history that can lead to a new idea for a project that is specific to that place. So a lot of my work has been about different phenomena or historic sites in California. But when I have gone like to Alaska, that's led to new inquiries of work um, related to like Arctic climates and, um, it, it shifts depending on where I'm at. I did a residency in Ireland last summer at a really cool wood oh, shop. Wow. Yeah, that was fantastic. And I, I got to learn. A, I was so fascinated with the bog, which I know has sort of a negative connotation in certain cultures. But the bog is insanely fascinating because it's basically 
um, peat moss that has just been built up over millennia and is in some places like 10 feet, 20 feet deep and entire wow. like, like towns and bodies have been perfectly preserved in the bog so much so that they like, this is kind of gross, but um, they have these bog, bog bodies where the skin and the hair yeah, and the fingernails them. are perfectly preserved. Oh. And it's because peat moss creates this anaerobic environment where things do mm -hmm. not break down. Um, so when you end up in these different landscapes and these new places, you get to learn so much about something that's completely different. And I think what I've kind of figured out is that I'm most interested in knowledge and different kinds of knowledge and how we find meaning from investigating the world around us. And that's why when I'm in a place, I, that's just where my mind naturally goes and why I start looking at peat moss <laughs> <laughs> endlessly um, and going, you know, that you can go see these bog bodies in the museum in Dublin. So um, that's, that's really cool. So, so when you're, you know, say for example, Ireland and, and I'm, I guess I kind of am just skimming the surface, but you're not just going to Ireland to check out bog moss. You're going there to, to, to meet these people and discover a, a, a culture. And so, so you probably meet a lot of fantastically amazing people fascinating, weird, crazy people along the way that informs yeah. what you're doing. Totally. It's, yeah, it's a great, I mean, this is why um, often with my students, you know, they say things like, I really wanted to be an artist, but I'm worried I'm not going to make a living or get a job. So I'm going to be a graphic designer and go into advertising instead. Mm -hmm. And, and it's hard to convince someone that choosing a lifestyle that doesn't have a secure income <laughs> um, can have major benefit. And I could never have these opportunities and apply for residencies to leave town for two months if I had a nine to five job. And so one of the major benefits of choosing to be an artist or a craftsman um, is living a lifestyle of like, yeah, maybe I don't drive a brand new car, but I love my 1985 Toyota pickup and I wouldn't give it up for the world. You've got a 93. Um, nice. Yeah, 400,000 miles on it. You know, and I have a 91 with 350,000 miles on it. <laughs> Mine's only got 150. It's going to go. Oh, it's going to. Yeah. You've got a long, long time with that. Yeah. truck. But see, like the whole idea is that like I get to have a ton of agency over how I live my life and I get to choose to like leave town for two months and go meet really interesting people and yeah. learn about oh. new places. And yeah, it's it's a I, it's a really extremely gratifying way to live your life. That being said, it still has its challenges and its oh, yeah, ups and downs. And there's, there's, every, I think every three months or so I go through this, what am I doing with my life phase? Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's just part of the up and down. And, and ultimately, I'm, I really feel so lucky that I get to choose if I, you know, get to go to my shop today and just make stuff and mess around with material, or if I get to research something new that I want to make, or if I get to have an interesting conversation with people on a podcast about <laughs> life, yeah. um, whatever it is, it's like, there's always something different happening. And it's a really gratifying way to live your life. Yeah, I, I, right. I hear you. I, every couple of months, maybe every six months, I have a little sit down chat with myself. Like, you know, you're meant to do this. Just, just calm down, level out. Calm down, Rob. It's, it's for real. It's okay. <laughs> right, and then you get to be my almost sixty, and you just uh, 
you just realize it is your life and you're yeah. just, and you're just living it. You've been doing I mean, it, Eric. A long time. I mean, you know, you know, no other reality, but uh, getting back to um, places and travel and all that, um, I was wondering if you talk a little about your, uh, the time you spent on uh, a scientific research vessel. Um, I think the RV Falcor, which actually, again, is near and dear to my heart because, you know, my father, he was a biophysicist, but he spent most of his time researching marine creatures. So we spent all our summers at, at marine biology labs and either in Bermuda or Woods Hole or various other places. Wow. Lucky the, you. And the funnest thing in the world was going out on these research vessels and collecting because, um, especially as a teenager, because nobody partied like marine biologists. In fact, <laughs> I used to remember going out on the big on the big RVs, which stands for research vessel. You know, when I was like fifteen, sixteen, and oh uh, wow! And the university, the University of New Hampshire crew was like their motto was eight hours of hard science, eight hours of hard partying. And uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so anyway, so talk about your experience uh, and at what sea. was the yeah. at sea, which is. Yeah. All right. So there is, uh, this is a private foundation called the Schmidt Ocean Institute, and they run the research vessel Falcor. Um, the, the people who back it are, I think, the, um, the, one of the original Google founders. So it's, it's a phil- philanthropic organization. Um, and the research vessel Falcor has a, an art residency program, which they call Artists at Sea. I don't know if they're doing it anymore for the time being, just because of the complexity of flying people around the world during the time of COVID. But um, I was lucky enough to be selected as one of their artists. And I went on a expedition, what they would call a cruise, but it's not like a cruise. It is still a research ship. There's no swimming pool. <laughs> oh, and I like I like the metaphor, artists at sea. I mean, it feels like we're constantly at sea. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're always yeah, yeah. floating. Artists at sea. What do you call your you know your residency program? Yeah, artists. You know, we're out there just doing the backstroke and flopping around. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel a bit like that. This uh, the the ship that I was on. It goes all over the world. Um, it's uh, I think this entire season it's going to be off the coast of Australia. So the, after I got off, um, they went down the underside of Australia, and I think they came up through the reef. And I, I'm not sure what they're doing right now. But um, expeditions t- typically are. I think the longest they can do is 35 days. So um, I flew to Fiji. And um, you spend a few days at port while they're they're kind of getting supplies and materials and offloading trash and like getting ready. And then once you're on the ship and they go out of port, it's 35 days. No, we, we you could see some of the islands around on occasion, but for the most part, it was just blue water um, in all directions and like the bluest water you've ever seen because yeah. um, Fiji is... Um, quite beautiful. The port was a little bit more industrial and not the idea of Fiji that we are sold as American tourists that you would expect. Um, it was a bit more gritty uh, mm-hmm. and real than than white sand beaches. Um, so unfortunately, the entire time I was there, I never got to swim in the ocean, um, which was a little bit of a bummer because I'm a big swimmer. I find it really helps with, um, with, with you know, I do a lot of grinding and vibrations and like your shoulders and back when you're doing that kind of work just get really messed up so 
breaststroke and backstroke is the only like way to reset my body and really make sure I'm not just going to, you know, ruin my wrists, but no swimming while I was there. Also no wood shop. So this research vessel had a team of scientists from kind of all over the world, mostly from. It would have been Col- a really teeny wood shop. <laughs> it would have been. I, that be, they do, they are equipped with shot. You know, they have a full. Oh yeah. W- welding shop and. Mm -hmm. they have a metal lathe they have to be able to repair anything on the ship that could go wrong at sea Um, my dad was on cruisers in the navy from 70 to 74 and yet they were fully equipped yeah it's it's cool to see the engineering workshops for sure um and then the deckhands you know they they also have to be able to repair stuff and yeah it's a very much problem solving with what you've got kind of um Mm -hmm. situation because when you once you're at port these expeditions are extremely expensive um and the they only have one chance they're really trying to study a particular thing and and the the really unexpected but awesome part about it was that um there's no like plan about what route you're going to take on this ship. Oh, it's, okay. it's very much in this particular case, we were trying to find these trichodesmium slicks, which is a cyanobacteria okay. that is really important in gas, gas exchange between the atmosphere and the ocean in the top millimeter of the ocean. Um, so pretty important in climate change. And what was um, cool is that uh, we were basically just following warm water fronts and very low wind conditions because that's the conditions in which trichodesmium slicks form. That so the ship was just like trying to go wherever. So that's that's the you're just kind of at sea and you're floating around just searching out these slicks. And the second component of the research that was happening mainly through the the chief scientist was from Columbia University, and uh, they were using drones or unmanned aerial vehicles (UAVs) as they're more commonly called to um, to be able to to see larger swaths of the ocean than you can see just from the ship. So they every day they had a UAV team that would get the the UAVs ready. Um, they'd they'd be able to land and take off from the deck of the ship, and they would fly in this kind of like grid pattern across large swaths of the ocean um, with videos and sensors taking in a whole bunch of scientific information and also with the ability to be able to see where the slicks were. So they were using the UAVs to be able to be like, there's one 10 miles that way, and then we could turn the ship and go there. Um, And then you'd find yourself in this huge kind of like mass of red green cyanobacteria. (laughs) Yeah. This massive, like, square miles of cyanobacteria. Right. Yeah. Wow. What was your specific role in terms of what were you what were you hoping to do with that? <laughs> That's a great question. Simplistic, yes, but to the point. Aside from learning um, what their research was about, um, I think that the organization really sees artists who make work about science as a a way to communicate science in a new way. Um, And so talking to the actual researchers that have expertise in these fields about kind of wave structures, how waves form, how cyanobacteria forms, what the cyanobacteria are actually exchanging between 
the atmosphere and the ocean, like all of that scientific data um, is very esoteric and far removed from the general public's understanding, right? But is actually pretty important when you're starting to talk about um, the ocean absorbing immense amount of CO2 that humans are producing that's causing global, you know, climate change. So um, I, th I think this particular organization, the Schmidt Ocean Institute, sees artists as like a way to communicate um, more aesthetically, you know, by painting or drawing or whatever people kind of normally do to to um, create ideas based on science. There's a lot more conversations and collaborations happening between art and sciences. Or data sculpturing in your case. Yeah. So have you, have you started exactly. to use some of that information in a piece or is it still an ongoing project? I have not. It an was, ongoing idea, I guess, is a, better, <laughs> is a better way to phrase it. It definitely influenced the way that I understand a ocean science research and like some of the really like minute tiny bacteria that have huge effects on you know like there's there's like a micro macro effect happening here like what happens on a molecular level absolutely is connected to like the global structure but mm -hmm. to connect those dots is a little bit challenging i have not made um any substantial data sculptures from that specific research, mainly because when scientists collect this research, it's like terabytes and terabytes of data that they take, you know, a year or two to analyze and process before they'll end up with some sort of scientific report that they then. So you're just going to have to kind of pick your battle, <laughs> pick your part of it that you're, that you want to focus on for that. Or yeah, I mean, I think what I was able to do while I was literally on the ship had a lot more to do with the immediate data sets that the ship was collecting. So not only are the scientists collecting all this information about wind and, you know, the light reflectivity off the ocean, wave strength, that kind of stuff. Um, the ship itself is navigating. So the ship literally every single second is tracking the wind speed and direction, some of the wave stuff, like a lot of different variables are being collected on the sensors on the ship. And I was able to use that data in real time. So I did um, some smaller kind of experiment donifying some of the data. Um, when I was talking earlier in our conversation about how your direct physical experience has an immense effect on your emotional kind of state right. think of think about like being on a ship you're constantly rocking back and forth mm -hmm. and one of the biggest things is that people get really seasick i didn't get terribly seasick but it was incredibly disorienting to go from solid land to three months two months at sea um when the ship is in constant motion and it's it's um, either going side to side or front to back or both at the same time and so the the ship is actually tracking the pitch and the roll. So I could take the pitch and roll data and I was sonifying that. So I, I, you, there's a really cool app um, just on a, you, you can access on the web that will sonify any data set and you can give it. So by sonify, you mean you're turning it into a sound file? Yeah. So you're even, so you're actually creating sound sculptures at this point then as well. At this point, yeah, I was playing around. I did two kind of things. Uh, what I was doing was I was suspending a paintbrush from a, like a pendulum in the scientific lab that they set me up as a studio. And I was, you know, taping a piece of paper to the table um, and then dipping the paintbrush. And then it would do these drawings of the pitch and the roll. So there would be these kind of like 
smushy like lines going around. And so I did a whole bunch of those samples. And then at the same time was taking the pitch and roll data and sonifying that there's an app you can use to select like, I want the pitch to be played in piano in these octaves. And I want the roll to be played in a harp in these octaves. And it would literally it kind of yeah, gives you the sense of how much we were moving at any given time. Now, I was going to say my memories of this are so so crystal clear because we never went out on big boats. We'd all go out on the smaller research vessels and everybody drank a boatload of Heineken's. They called them green seasick pills. And the worst oh. thing was the, the combination of being seasick and the diesel fumes out of the stack. At that point, at that Ooh. point, you were just a goner. You just leaned oh, over. Just you just awful. leaned over and let it fly. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like the notion of listening to sonic files of seasickness right now is really making me uh, queasy. <laughs> well, the the benefit was since the cyanobacteria only happen in calm conditions with almost no wind, we were we were actively seeking like calm conditions with no wind where the ship was moving very little. I cannot imagine being on that kind of ship in a big storm that would be like even there are certain days where it was bad where you'd be walking just down the like hallway and you'd be hitting the wall if you weren't you know because they're teeny it's it's like a smaller than a frigate really i mean they're small yeah i can't ours i can't remember it's not a extremely large research vessel it Mm -hmm. was a very nicely put together they completely refabbed the whole thing it used to be a a fisheries um vessel and then the schmitz bought it and redid it and it's it's a very nice ship but yeah it still has you know some of the ship qualities it was a fascinating experience i really really enjoyed um being out there i learned a lot one of the other scientists was doing um spectrographs of color you know from the sun ocean kind of interface and that was really fascinating to learn about too so just beginning to spend time in the wet lab with them you know people kind of taking water samples and looking at little trichodesmiums under microscopes was fascinating and really cool i can't imagine um like I said, sometimes when projects start, it takes five years before they actually realize. I'm sure somewhere down the line, that experience will like coalesce into something more tangible. But I have more ideas than I have time. And the pieces I make take an extremely, like, they're very labor intensive and research intensive. So it's it's um, hard to get them all out. I always say I'll, I'll die with a billion things right. to do. No. You know? Even if I die when I'm 110, I'll still have a lot of projects that are unfinished. Right. Yeah. yeah no, that's a good way to go. Yeah, no, the whole, I, I love the idea of, I, I love the whole concept of how much you've moved around in terms of experimenting with mediums and, and mm-hmm. sound. And um, I think that's a, a good place to wrap up our bonus, Meg. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Adrian. You can listen to Why Make on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also grab our RSS feed or direct download from our website, why-make.com. This episode is currently brought to you by the Holy Pockets of Rob and Eric. Please help us build our creative funding base at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whymakepodcast. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at at whymakepod. This episode is recorded on Squadcast and edited by us on Audacity. Thanks for listening.